Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 28 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job, and make a bigger difference, even during the pandemic. And in today's episode, if you're conscious of the importance of legacy income to your charity, in particular, the wonderful potential for legacy donations from your closest supporters, but you feel you may be missing a trick in letting those supporters know about this opportunity, then I hope you're going to find this episode interesting and useful. Because today, we're looking at the crucial subject of being able to talk about legacies when you're in conversation with your supporters. I'm going to share an interview I conducted with Dr. Claire Routley, who's one of the UK's leading experts in legacy giving. I met Claire in early March 2020 at the fabulous conference organised by the National Association of Hospice Fundraisers, and it was just a couple of days before the UK went into lockdown. As I'm about to publish this episode in late June, four months later, I decided to catch up with Claire this week to check whether she feels the ideas we talked about are still relevant, given that so much has changed for us as people and as fundraisers. One thing we talked about was that charities are right to have been extremely cautious and sensitive over the last few months when deciding whether to proactively send out legacy appeals. Clearly, charities need to be extremely sensitive to how supporters might construe a legacy appeal during this kind of health crisis. Claire also pointed out that inquiries to will writing services have gone up massively in the last few months, and as such, the chance that your supporter might be thinking about leaving your charity a gift, or potentially ask you a question about this way of giving, has actually gone up. For these reasons, we feel that today's topic of being able to have a conversation, when appropriate, with an existing supporter about leaving a gift in a will as one way to support, is as relevant as it has ever been. If you're interested in understanding and weighing up the ethics of legacy fundraising in an emergency, I'm so pleased that Claire and her colleagues at Rogare, the excellent fundraising think tank, are soon to publish a report on this very subject. The report is due to be published in the next two weeks, and I'll include Claire's details at the end and in the episode notes, so you can get in touch to request a copy. So what you're about to hear is a conversation I recorded with Claire four months ago. I don't know about you, but this to me seems like another age. Listening back this week, I really enjoyed Claire's insights again, and I hope you find ideas in it that are helpful too. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by Bright Spot Mastery Programmes. So if you need to increase income in corporate partnerships or major donor and trust fundraising, these programmes will help. As well as the advanced strategies you learn on the training days, you receive one-to-one coaching to help you put those powerful techniques into practice. To find out more about the Corporate Mastery and Major Gifts Mastery programmes, head over to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. So welcome to the podcast, Claire Routley. Thank you for having me. Uh, So here we are, Claire. We're in a a quiet training room at the National Association for Hospice Fundraisers Conference. The plenary is going on next door. Uh, We've quietly sneaked out because I couldn't resist getting your views on a very important topic for fundraisers to do with silo smashing, to do with being more holistic and to do with the importance of legacy fundraising for all fundraisers rather than just one small department shoved off to the side. Um, And I'd love to get into that in a moment, but just before we do, to help the listeners get some context, let me get this right. You are Dr. Claire Routley. Your company is called Legacy Fundraising. And and right before we even get onto that, you're not a medical doctor. Um, That doctor comes because you've done a PhD. And crucially, the PhD was in? 
Legacy fundraising, yeah. Okay, so you spent three or four years studying uh, a hypothesis well, to do with that. Part-time, so six years. Wow. <laughs> so you've gone super deep into understanding the various factors mm. that contribute to successful legacy fundraising. Yeah, yeah. My PhD was really about why people do it. And I had the the real pleasure of getting to go and interview uh, 20 or so legacy pledgers who were just absolutely fantastic. I wanted to adopt each of them as a grandparent, <laughs> but, uh, you know, hear their stories and hear why they were doing it and hearing about their collections to the, to the charities. Fantastic. And uh, you've worked in fundraising for around 15 years, mm-hmm. doing various things, including tr- trust fundraising. And obviously, you've specialised and gone deep into legacy fundraising mm-hmm. with the insight you've got from that PhD, among other things. Um, in today's podcast, I don't want to necessarily go super deep into everything to do with legacy fundraising. We can save that for mm-hmm. another episode. But today, I wanted to more focus on this crazy thing that happens whereby legacies just get stuck off to one side and in many charities is the responsibility of one person Mm. or one team Um, and the crying shame that is when actually statistically many of the people who are most likely to leave a gift to us already have a good relationship with the corporate fundraiser Mm. or the local shop or the community fundraiser Uh, I, i guess first of all is that your observation that that most charities are missing a trick in that respect and if so, what, what do you think are some of the understandable human reasons or organisational reasons why that just often does end up happening? Yeah, well, I think increasingly charities are trying to integrate legacies across various teams. But I do think there's, there's varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons sometimes it isn't done in the optimal way is perhaps because people maybe, you know, get someone like me in quite often to do training. That's, that's a real good way to sell my services, isn't it? But... <laughs> Get me into do some training or, you know, somebody else into do some training. Um, but then that's it. You know, there's not that sort of ongoing internal effort to really embed that. Yes. Um, so it's a kind of a tick box exercise. Yeah. An expert came and did the thing. And well, now it should all be fine now. Yeah. Get on with it. Yeah. But in reality, what we know about most organisational change is, is just doing one thing once, however well it's done, yeah. is really rarely enough to, to, to make a lasting change in yeah. behaviours and attitudes. Absolutely. So it's got to be a real sort of long-term commitment from organisations. And then I suppose the other barriers are the fairly obvious ones, that it's about death and money, mm-hmm. two of our biggest taboos. So, yeah. you know, that is, a, that is a challenge for people to uh, become comfortable with, to talk about those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's really got to come from the, the top of the organisation as well as a sort of bottom-up effort as well I think it's difficult as a legacy fundraiser on your own without that organizational support to to really embed that yes and yet so this requires a decision it requires especially on the part of leaders uh, and, a, and a concerted effort that this is worth making time mm. for in team meetings it's worth you know measuring it's worth Uh, looking at the specific Mm. activities that would lead to this more holistic approach uh, to to the idea of even just people talking about gifts Mm. and wills like it's a reasonable thing to talk about same as a a 10k fun run or or, or a a, a new appeal for two pounds a month yeah and absolutely it is just another way of supporting the charity 
I mean, a wonderful way, but yes, it should just, that's how it should feel, I think, to fundraisers, that it's just, you know, it's another ask. We make lots of asks all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think we sometimes in our own minds position it as this big, scary thing when actually, yes, you know, it's just a normal way to carry on your support of that organisation that you've loved right through your life, really. Yeah. So either from your PhD studies or from the work you do with your your other clients, um, what are the couple of things that you tend to help people with to, to overcome those two taboos to do with money and mm. to do with death and, and the notion that people... Understandably, many people don't want to, to talk about those two things, but when you've worked with a charity and they've become better at it, what are certain things they've got their head around yeah. that help them at least have this chat anyway? I think, for me, it's trying to switch the internal mindset from this idea that legacy is this big, scary ask to actually giving people the opportunity to leave a legacy is a real opportunity for them. So, I mean, there's bags and bags and bags of research that basically says we are all, um, as individuals, motivated to leave a legacy in the broader sense of the word. I'm doing air quotes, which doesn't really help on a podcast, does it? But, you know, we really want to leave something behind us, that we've got this really strong need to create this sort of sense of symbolic immortality for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some people do that through having kids. Some people might do it through uh, writing an opera (laughs) or an epic poem that echoes down through the ages. But, you know, not that many of us can necessarily do that. Um, And I guess what this is getting pretty big existential it really comes down to what people what is the meaning of life why yeah. am i here oh even? yeah yeah this is why i love legacies the, there must be more to it than, than me working hard yeah. on my job nine to five until friday and then trying trying yeah. to be a good parent and have good time with friends and family at the weekend you know yeah. when people have um mini or major crises often it comes back to what what is the point what is the meaning of life and one way we can find greater meaning is that you know we made a difference somehow yeah absolutely and as i'm saying you know not that many people can do that through writing the opera or you know the poem that will echo through the ages but pretty much everybody can leave something whether that's a few hundred pounds a few thousand pounds to a charity that is going to have that impact on other people's lives that is going to make a difference so I just think you know actually switching our mindsets to think about I can give somebody the opportunity to achieve symbolic immortality Mm. that is pretty amazing isn't it Mm. and it starts to feel then like it's almost a duty to ask people about legacies because I'm giving this amazing gift to them so I think that's that's the key mind switch for me. Yes, yes, and 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 framing it that way, why would we not at least talk about it? Yeah, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be an overt, proactive ask that does or doesn't lead to a decision today, but at least drip 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 mm. for charities to be proactively willing to include this in various conversations rather than just the legacy mailings that happen from that team over there especially crucially with the people who already volunteer in Mm. your shops who already run the marathon for you every single year it's if they care that much to do that those 26 miles of pain Mm. and the you know the extra hassle of collecting the sponsorship uh, it's kind of weird that we wouldn't also at least let them know about this other option for making a difference and being remembered for making a difference to a cause that is very 
important to them. Yeah. And there is, again, there's some research that it always sticks in my mind. It says that people who feel there's no one to leave a legacy to or, you know, they can't pass something on can actually feel this sense of sort of existential despair. Mm. So, again, you know, it's it's a precious gift that we're giving to our donors, really. Mm. And um, I wanted to touch, just get a couple of top tips, really, that Mm. when, when you train a team to be more willing to... As a corporate fundraiser, mention that to your mm. supporter or a community fundraiser. Um, I'd love your two or three of the, the tips that you, you think are important and that you help people get their head around. Yeah. One of the ones that I remember being, in fact, you just mentioned it to me just before we came into the interview and you reminded me was, this is the only kind of fundraising where someone doesn't have to give you any yeah. money now. Yeah. Your own, if you, even if the conversation goes really well and they say, yes, I want to help, it costs them not a single penny. Mm. Actually, you're just asking them to make a decision today or the next time they talk yeah. to their lawyer about their will, rather than having to get their hand in mm. their pocket. And there's something very helpful and powerful about that we have found. Um, would you just speak to that idea and then... Any of the other little tips that you found can help someone be more brave to to talk to their kind of supporter who until now has not been a legacy supporter, they've been a marathon runner Mm. or whatever, that one and any other tips that occur to you? Um, well, I think it's an incredibly gentle ask we make of people, actually. So um, because, you know, making a will and uh, thinking about how you're going to uh, dispose of your estate and all those sorts of things, that's quite a long-term decision. So, you know, even if I was to march up to lots of donors, look them in the whites of their eyes and go, right, will you give us a gift in your will? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of them just won't be able to say yes, no at that point anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think all really we want people to do is to maybe commit to thinking about it. As you said, you know, next time you're thinking about this or next time you visit your, your lawyer, just please think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because, again, we know that only 6% of the population ultimately leave a legacy gift. And so it's not yet a social norm. Mm-hmm. And so I think very often when people are going to make a will, you know, you've got two kids, 50-50 down the middle done. Um, and it just doesn't even get into their decision set that they might leave a gift to charity unless sometimes maybe they haven't got children or they've got tax implications or those sort of things. And, you know, as we were saying, you know, most people, though, could do it. They could do a couple of percent or they could do a few hundred quid. You know, most people would, would have the capacity to do it. And yet I think it just doesn't get into their, their decision making set. So if we can just get more people to say, yeah, you know, that's something I'll think about. And I remember a couple of the organisations I have worked with in the past that decided to get better at this thing, Mm. not just the legacy team doing what they do, but helping all fundraisers Mm. in the organisation get more proactive and less afraid of this. The whole focus of those two projects I'm thinking Mm. of was not let's get legacy pledges. The whole project was about let's have more conversations about it. Uh, And indeed, that was what was measured. Yeah. So maybe I'm getting ahead ahead of myself here, but would you agree you've got to be clear what the outcome is Mm. so so that the fundraisers you're talking to know what it is you're asking them to do rather than them inadvertently thinking you wanted them to go and get some legacy pledges. No, no, we just need you you to be mentioning it. And secondly, the importance of getting the measurement right. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, we really just want people, as you said, you know, to have these conversations, to to raise it. If people then do say, well, actually, yes, I've done it already, I think it's good to, you know, where, you know, GDPR and et cetera <laughs> permitting that you can capture that because... I mean, there could be a whole other podcast about stewardship and the fact that actually a lot of people will change their wills and charities will drop out. So, you know, when we know they've done it, we can look after them and that's that's really important. Um, but absolutely, I think just having the conversation is the, the, the key thing to do. But even, I think, where you're measuring conversations, um, as I said, lots of people will actually go, yeah, you know, yes, I've done it or, yeah, you know, I'm really thinking about this next time I see my sister try will. And so I used to do it with a, a brilliant uh, major donor fundraiser called Robert. Uh, and he used to do quite a lot of work on the telephone, talking to our various donors. And he got into the habit, always good, <laughs> of pretty much every call, he would say something like, have a look at the database, see how long they've been supported and say, did you know you've been supporting us for 15 years? That's absolutely amazing. Did you know there's a way you can carry on that support, you know, um, after you're gone, I think is maybe how he phrased it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just by saying that over about six months, if you assume that everyone he spoke to was given our sort of average legacy, we calculated that there's more than a million pounds he either raised or identified in in legacy gifts just from that little phrase being added into wow. the conversations he was having already. That's amazing. So. And, and again, mm. it's, it's all about getting the process right, yeah. the habit right, knowing that plenty of times mm. you'll do the right thing and it, it won't necessarily get a result. Or even if it did, you won't necessarily know. But yeah. if you've thought carefully about what the process and the habit should mm. be, then as those results show, over time, it's absolutely yeah. going to pay off. Oh, and you, and you, uh, in your question as well, actually, you, um, you've reminded me of the, I should probably admit to the big mistake I used to make when I was in-house, mm-hmm. which was to generally kind of talk about how great legacies were and say, you know, we help with legacy promotion, but not being specific about what I wanted people to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I read one of the, you know, Chip and Dan Heath books about change, which was, it's an excellent book. Um, Switch, Switch, that's yeah. it, Switch. Um, and one of the things they say is script the moves, so be really specific. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that I used to fall down on. Mm-hmm. I'd kind of G up everyone about legacies, but not actually say every time you have a conversation, can you say this? Or, you know, can you find your own phrase that, yeah. that really works for you that you use? So, yeah, that, that point about just being specific about what we want people within our organisations to do is a, yes. an important one and a, and a failure of mine that I'm <laughs> quite happy to admit to. So Yes, and uh, I remember when we did some training on this, um, we, we did quite deliberately give a rough approximation of a sentence that people could use and I don't know what you know of course it's going to change depending on who you're talking Mm. to and depending on on your style and the organization yeah but I remember a, a key element of the way we were talking about it was to understand that if people think about their their will Charities are often not the first thing that they think about. The first thing, the purpose of their will, is to look after their family. Mm -hmm. And if there's something left over, and if they're able to, potentially to look after or be remembered or in some way help their friends, Mm. and however strong their connection to a cause, those two things just are usually going to come first. And, And the insight of knowing that helped the fundraisers get that out of the way up front mm. so that in no, in no way were we uh, implying that please put us first. Yeah. 
So it was something along the lines of, um, I don't know if you would consider, clearly after doing everything you possibly can through your will mm -hmm. to help your family and, and indeed potentially your friends, but, but after you're happy with the way you've done that, I don't know if you would consider making a, a decision to, to leave something in your will to this particular mm. cause after you're gone. Yeah. That, you know, it's 10 years ago since I studied this topic, but that's my memory mm. of, of roughly what people were finding was effective. Is, does that broadly sound okay? Or is there anything, any changes you would, re you tend to recommend with your mm. clients to what I just said? No, I think that, I mean, I think that sounds perfect. Um, I suppose anything to be conscious of, like you say, it's sometimes it's about the person you're talking to and the classic legacy donor might not have family. So I suppose just being conscious, you know, if we know the person, being being conscious of that, mm -hmm. really. One thing that's occurred to me is a fundraiser might be concerned about the legal element mm -hmm. of this, anything they should or should not uh, mention or should or should not know on the, to do with the legal side. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's potentially another one of those barriers to, to having these conversations is that fundraisers worry that they need to be experts on inheritance tax and you know the different ways in which someone can leave a gift. And so I suppose from in terms of your own confidence, it might be helpful to just have a quick look at the basics, you know, different ways that someone can leave a cash gift or they can leave a share of their estate. But in practice, in my 10 years plus now as a legacy fundraiser, I think I've only ever been asked maybe one legal even vaguely legal question um, so it doesn't tend to come up that much so you absolutely don't need to be an expert uh, and also codes of practice tell us that we as fundraisers should not be given any sort of legal advice um, and as we were just chatting about on the way down Robbie was saying uh, the really good thing to do is just to signpost someone to that legal advisor so yeah you know we can tell them about our organisation and the really good things that it does we can have conversations about how they might want their gift to be spent but we shouldn't really ever get into that area of giving someone personalised legal advice I, I remember um, a common uh, worry or question can be if a donor wants their money only to be spent on mm. a particular thing that our charity does, and actually realistically, the charity can't necessarily guarantee that in 10 years' time, we will still mm. be doing this particular kind of project to protect cats or this particular kind of project to help refugees. What do you tend to advise that a fundraiser could say in response to that request? Well, um, I think it's probably good to have thought about that as an organisation before you get to the point of the conversations, because really you don't want to be on the hoof making up you know, what you could do with a with a gift. Um, and sometimes you might have to, if someone wants to do something very specific, you might have to go back to your organisation and, and talk about it a little bit more and come back to them. But actually, one of the things I really like is what the, the National Theatre do, which is where they give people choice, but to fund quite broad areas. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I'm probably getting the exact areas wrong here, but uh, they talk about, you know, you could fund new productions, you could fund our work with young people, you could fund the, the fabric of the building. Mm -hmm. you know, if you've got some broad areas of work that somebody could fund so they get that they get that sense of choice they get that sense of personal impact but it doesn't necessarily lead to those situations where you've got you know a million pounds that must be spent on one tiny village in Devon yes very good and I, I think maybe not every time but most supporters most 
donors to organisations, if you articulate to them that we can't, I mean, goodness, at the time of recording, the entire political and social and economic things mm. going on in the UK are utterly transformed in the last two, three weeks mm. to do with the onset of coronavirus. And in the last five years, there's been massive change economically, politically, socially. Mm. Um, I think if one points out to a supporter that it's hard to predict what will be going on in society in five years' time, let alone 10, 20, 30, mm. if you can help them see that and for that reason, it's a, as an organisation, it's unhelpful for us to be committing to too, too specific and too tactical mm. a thing. But like you say, I, I, I just love that advice often organisations can sign up that it would be in this broad area mm. achieving this kind of outcome yeah. rather than these very low-down specific tactics. Yeah, and I think no donor wants to see a situation where it spend, takes 30 years to spend their money because it's tied up into legal or internal wranglings or even, you know, there's a situation where it might even never get spent or the gift would fail. I mean, no donor wants that. Mm. So, yes, yeah, just making it clear to them, really. Yes. So... Uh, I'd like to move on to the other half of the conversation soon, but just before we do, if we are a fundraiser, we might be want to be more proactive in having these kinds of conversations mm. with our supporters. In addition to everything else we've said, any last couple of tips that you think are mm. useful for us to bear in mind? Yeah, I think um, we haven't really said to listen to the donor yet, <laughs> which I think is a real sort of fundamental basic for any type of fundraising and absolutely for legacy. So you know, there might be certain things that a donor says to you that just make you think, well, they're in you know the perfect place to be thinking about this. So um, it might be something like, you know, I'd really love to um, support your work or I'd love to do more, but I'm on a fixed income and I can't up my donation. Well, that person potentially is, a, you know, a perfect legacy prospect. And again, it's that beautiful win-win that, you know, they'd love to do more. Well, actually, there's a brilliant way they can do it and it's not going to cost them anything now, as we've been talking about. So surprise, surprise, the fundamental skills of good relationship fundraising mm -hmm. are at the heart of whether one of these conversations is going to mm. be successful and reasonable or not yeah absolutely as we were saying you know earlier it's it's just another way of supporting your charity when it comes to it yes very good so claire thank you so much for appearing on the podcast and i'm looking forward to another conversation very soon about this other notion of silo smashing but for now dr claire routley thank you so much thank you goodbye so there you go i hope you found claire's insights and tips helpful to find out more on this subject, do check out the excellent book Legacy and In-Memory Fundraising, which Claire co-edited with Sebastian Wilberforce. I'll put a link to that, as well as a summary and transcript of the ideas we discussed in the episode notes, which you can find in the blog and podcast section of our Brightspot Fundraising website. And if you found my discussion with Claire helpful, it would be fantastic if you could take a moment to leave a kind review wherever you get your podcasts, which really helps other fundraisers to find this resource. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Claire is at Clary Jane R with a capital J for Jane and a capital R at the end. And I'm at Woods underscore Rob. Claire's website is legacyfundraising.co.uk. And as I said at the beginning, if you'd like a copy of Rogari's upcoming report on the ethics of legacy fundraising in an emergency, which Claire co-authored, 
do drop her a note and she's happy to send it to you for free. If you'd like more ideas to help you succeed during the pandemic, then please do check out my new ebook, Power Through the Pandemic, which gives seven key strategies to help you raise money, even now, through major donors, corporates and trusts. You can download it for free from brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash power. Until the next time, stay safe and good luck with all your efforts to make a positive difference. Thank you.